So we are going off mark for a period. We said that we were going to finish the series, finish the kind of first bit of mark last week, which we kind of wrapped up and closed up in that first kind of six verses of chapter three. So we'll get back to Mark in a little while. Um, but today we're going to look at something which I've titled The Gardeners. Do we have any gardeners here? Like, oh, a couple of gardeners, a couple of gardeners. Um, no offense to the gardeners, but for a long while I couldn't understand gardening. Like, it seems like the weirdest thing, pottering around in gumboots, getting your hands dirty, like pulling out weeds. Just don't, I don't get it. Um, but we want to talk a little bit about the gardeners, and hopefully some of this will make sense. Now, the thing about gardens is gardens can look very different. Like, you can get a garden like this next one, um, which is probably what my garden would end up looking like, or, uh, or the, the next one. Um, so... <laughs> Not good gardeners, not good gardeners, but you also get the easy gardener, which is like eradicate everything and just put down grass. That's like the easy gardener. You just need one of those push mows. You don't even need like a fake grass. No, that's real. You can see the, the holes. Come on, Lise. It's no fake grass there. And then you get like the extravagant gardeners, like the people that just go overboard and are like trying to put us all to shame. You know, like when you go to their house and you're like, do you do anything with your life other than garden? Um, but you, you get the extravagant gardens or, or like the next one, like the gardens that are just so rich and luscious and uh, incredible. And um, the amazing thing is, is that you get so many different types of gardens even in the same place. I don't know if you've noticed this. You just have to drive down any street and look at the verges of, of the streets. And some verges look extravagant, and you think, like, what have you done? And, um, and then other verges look terrible. Um, all, all in the same place. And uh, probably what's the difference? The difference is those looking after their gardens. I once uh, had a friend who had a, you know, did up his verge really nicely, and then the one day he comes and some of his plants have been stolen off, uh, off his verge, and he's like, someone's stolen plants of my verge. So he goes and checks his cameras. They didn't know that they're cameras. Turns out it was one of his neighbors who was jealous about his amazing verge. So how's that for a story? how gardening can create enemies. Who knew that? Anyway, so we are gonna make sense with this gardening thing in case you're wondering like, what is Jamie going on? There's only like three gardeners here, so everyone else is like, what on earth, Jamie, are you talking about today? Um, and hopefully some of this will make sense, but uh, I wanna talk about gardeners, but also I wanna actually talk about divine agency. Um, and how God him, himself is the divine agent of creation and, and transformation, but how, and we'll look at this next week, how he gives humans divine agency, um, which is the ability through our own decisions and actions to bring about change. Um, 
So, but to start off, I want to look at a Hebrew word or a Hebrew phrase, which is only used three times in the whole of the scriptures. And the first time it's used in Genesis 1 verse 2, it's this Hebrew phrase called tohu vabohu, tohu vabohu. Um, and it's an interesting phrase because it's a phrase where the NIV translated formless and empty, or you may have heard it formless and void, or I'm not sure which version Pascal read out of, but uh, it used a slightly different phrase. But this word tohu vabohu uh, means this, the earth, now the earth was formless and empty, or there was confusion and emptiness on the earth. It was disordered. It was chaotic, uh, as one theologian says. It was the, the chaos of the, the before the ordering in the six days. It was a desert and a wilderness. Um, the earth was formless and void. So, if you read Genesis 1, Genesis 1 starts, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that, that word uh, created there is the Hebrew word ex nihilo, which means God creates out of nothing. He creates, but when he creates out of nothing, there ends up this chaos and confusion, this formlessness and void, this confusion and emptiness, this desert and the wilderness. And this is really important to understand something of the whole narrative of scripture and how God works is that creation starts in a place of chaos. It starts in tohu vabohu. And what happens is God is present. He's present in the chaos. The earth was formless and empty, tohu vabohu. Darkness was over the surface of the deep but the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God is present in the chaos, in the desert, in the wilderness, in the uh, confusion, in the emptiness, in the tohu vabohu. God is present, hovering over this disorder. Um, and then what we see is the creation narrative happens, you know, uh, and then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Um, and the light shines in the darkness, we, we know. And there was day one. There was evening and there was morning, day one. And then day two and day three. And what we see is we see this progressive idea of creation, that creation happens progressively. It starts, God created the heavens and the earth, this ex nihilo, creates, and there's this chaos, this Tohu there's this confusion and emptiness, there's this formlessness and void, uh, and then it's progressive. From day one to day six, stuff begins to happen. God, each day, does certain things, and those certain things bring about creation. It goes from light in day one to the end of day six, humanity goes from good, God saw that it was good, to the end of uh, day six when God says it was very good. There's this like progress that happens 
when we see creation coming about, like God is step by step engaging in creation, day by day engaging in creation, moving from day one to day six, moving from light to humanity, moving from good to very good. Um, we sometimes think of creation like this, like God's just like, boom, it happened. God like thought it, did it, done, boom, everything's happened, but actually the story uh, that we are told is a story of a day by day, God active in the world. Um, What we see is, we see creation is this double cycle, sorry guys, it's a little technical, we'll get to some non-technical stuff now. Um, but we see this double cycle in the creation narrative, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. So day one, God creates light. Day two, God separates the waters from the heaven and the waters from below. Day three, the land Appears And then what happens on day four? God creates the sun and the moon to fill the, the, the sky and the, the lights. He creates the birds and the fish, it says, in, in day five to fill the expanses that have been separated, what's happened on day two. And then he creates all the animals on, on the land to fill the, the land that comes about in day three. It's like, it's not just, it's not just that God is progressively bringing about creation, like he's active in this process. It's like he's doing this process and making it better, if, if that makes sense. It's like he's engaging. At one point, he's separating, he's differentiating night and day. He's differentiating the sky and the land. He's differentiating the, the land and the sea. He's differentiating, and then he's filling. He's taking this stuff that he's differentiated between and he's filling it, he's giving it life and fruitfulness. God is progressively engaged in the creation process to bring chaos and disorder, confusion and emptiness, this desert and uh, wilderness kind of picture that is painted and through his activity, brings about order and fruitfulness to the point where he says it is very good. This is the story of creation that we get. This narrative that we get is a God who's getting his hands dirty in one sense in the chaos and disorder and through separation, through differentiation, through naming, through whatever we want to say, and through fruitfulness is bringing about the abundance on the earth and says that it is very good. Second picture that we get, if you move from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2, as Pascal read, is you, you get this picture, is we often think that by the time Genesis 2 happens, that the earth is just filled. It's like a forest. But it's not just a forest. It's like this most beautiful, unbelievable, like incredible forest. It's like the secret garden. You know, you think when you get to Genesis 2, the secret garden is there. It's amazing. Like, yo, 
that is what we want. No, how does Genesis 2 start? Well, it starts with Sabbath, but when the second creation narrative starts, it says this, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. You get this idea that the earth is barren. And then it says, now the Lord God had planted a garden. Again, God is active. God is engaged. God is planting a garden. God is a gardener. He turns a desert and a wilderness into an Eden. He turns confusion and emptiness, tova bohu, into beauty and fruitfulness, into order and fruit, fruitfulness. God is a gardener. And this will become very important, we'll see a little bit later. But God is a gardener. He is actively engaged in his creation. And his engagement is not like sometimes we think, this disassociated kind of power where God just says, you know, like, boom, everything happens. You get this picture, God plants a garden. He plants, he's engaged. He's engaged in the ordering of creation. He's engaged in the fruitfulness of creation. He's engaged in turning tohu vabohu into something that is beautiful and fruitful. But not only is he engaged in that, is he's calling us to be engaged in that. We see in Genesis 1 when he says that to Humanity says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. He is engaging humanity in, in commissioning us into the same task. There's a theological term, it's a Latin term. Uh, it's called the Imago Dei. And the Imago Dei is the Latin phrase for the image of God. It's uh, when God creates Adam and Eve, when he creates uh, male and female, he creates them in his likeness, in his image, it says in Genesis 1 verse 26. God creates humanity after his likeness. He creates humanity after his image. And what, um, what theologians have said is so significant about the Omega day is not only has God created us in his likeness so that we have the capacity for relationship with him, but we are created in the likeness so we have the capacity to execute his will. So as God is the creator, so he creates us in his likeness to be creative, to execute his will and to execute his reign on the earth. He creates us to, in one sense, be gardeners, to execute God's activity of moving tohu vabohu, confusion and emptiness, into beauty, order, and fruitfulness. 
God's activity in the world is this movement from to, this movement from confusion and emptiness to beauty, order, and fruitfulness. This is what God's doing. And this is what he wants his people to be engaged with. We see this um, in Genesis 2 as well, when God brings the animals to, to Adam and Eve, um, and he, it says, and they name the animals. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Being given like the job of naming things is a really big deal. Like it's a really big deal. I studied biology. That's uh, what I ended up studying at university. I have no idea why, but I did it and never used it. But I studied biology and one of the things when you study biology is one of the things that you learn is like Everyone who's ambitious in biology, which was only a few of us, I think all of the rest of us were like, why are we doing this? But there were a few people that were really ambitious. And if you were ambitious in biology, what did you want? You wanted something named after you. Like you wanted to discover something and then it would be named after you. It would be like Plantagenus Jamie Ellis or something. I don't know, you know, like some, some weird name. But like, because naming something is really, really significant. We as parents give, get the, the power to name our kids. Um, people want to discover things so that they can name those things. God gives Adam and Eve this ability to name the animals, which is really crazy. That's a really big deal. Like, have you ever wondered about that? Like, God's sitting there and an animal comes and Adam's like, elephant. God's like, that's not an elephant. No, no, like whatever Adam names it, that's, it's its name. Um, he is giving Adam and Eve this creative ability to bring about order into the world. I'm sure they must have had fun naming animals. I wonder what you would do if you had to name animals today. Like Salamander. What a weird name. Joe Dunn says this. He says, naming is an act of creation. Humanity engaging with God in the process of turning chaos, confusion, emptiness into order and beauty and fruitfulness. God ordains his people, the Omega Day, the people created in his image and likeness to be engaged in this process of moving tohu va bohu through this process, even as God works in this process of progressively bringing about order and beauty and fruitfulness in to the world, he engages with humanity to go about and do the same thing. It is what theologians have said is the cultural commission, that there are two commissions in scripture. The one commission is the great commission, we know. Go and 
make disciples of all nations. When Jesus is about to ascend, he commissions his disciples to make disciples of all nations. And then there is this, what they call the cultural commission, which is the commission of upon all of humanity to turn confusion and emptiness into beauty, order, and fruitfulness. That is our job, our commission. Part of your and my role is to engage in this world and to bring about fruitfulness, beauty, order, the last time we see tohu vabohu is in Jeremiah. It's the last of the three times that it is mentioned. And in Jeremiah 4, it says this, my people are fools. They do not know me. They are senseless children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil. I mean, how's that for a tune? They are skilled in doing evil. They know not how to do good. I looked at the earth and it was formless and empty and at the heavens and their light was gone. God looks at a point in history, at creation, and what does he say? He is referencing Genesis chapter one. He's like humanity is regressed from the order that he's brought into creation, into a place of confusion and emptiness. That the sin of humanity, the evil of humanity has turned what was good into something that is formless and void, that is empty and confusing. It's like he is pointing back to these people, pointing back to the pre-engaged creation story and being like, this is where we've got to. Like, how did we go from very good to formless and void? The, the call of humanity is to move creation towards the state of very good. And what has humanity done? It's made it formless and void. I don't know about you, but I'm sure we could all think of our own stories in, our, in certain spaces where we look at things that we thought were once very good, and now you look at them and you're like, oh, I mean, my garden's like that. Our lawnmower broke down, and, um, which, and I didn't want to get a new one because we had sold a house and it's just gone through and this and that, and luckily it was winter, so... You know, nothing really grows in winter, so I was rescued by that. But if you haven't mowed your lawn for like a month in summer, especially here in Durban, it goes from a place of, wow, beauty, order, wonder, look at my amazing lawn, to confusion, emptiness, chaos, formless and void, weeds growing, different heights. It's like chaos. You're, you're, if you've got like prune shrubs, we've got these like prune, like hedges, you know, like shaped Edges in our garden, and then, like the one time I, when we first bought the house, I was like, ah, you know, I'll leave it for a while. Like this beautiful hedge, like round shaped, whatever plant it is, so beautiful, looking so good, became like a scarecrow, like chaos. We probably all can recognize and see parts 
of our lives, of the world, of places around us, where because of the sin of humanity, places of beauty and order and fruitfulness have gone to waste and emptiness and confusion. This is the problem of humanity. Sin comes into the world, and as sin comes into the world, the Garden of Eden is betrayed. The humanity starts moving in the wrong direction in one sense. Are you tracking? Are we all okay so far? So, one of the questions I've asked myself is this, is like, if you were resurrected, like, if you came back to life, like, what would your first kind of image that you would want to portray to the world be? Like, I'm thinking Jesus is coming on, you know, like, we know that picture of Jesus on a riding on a white horse, the horse is like so big that it can trample like a nation. Like you're thinking this is Jesus. After his resurrection, his disciples are gonna find him. They're gonna go to the grave and there he is riding on his white horse. Like I've conquered the grave, I'm victorious. Like you, you think this is gonna be it. Like someone who is, you've come back from the verge of defeat in battle. They wanna come back and they wanna be like, I am the gladiator, the champion, your victor, your whatever. The very first time Jesus shows himself after the resurrection, the very first time, the first person to see Jesus after the resurrection was Mary Magdalene. And when she sees Jesus, she hears Jesus' voice. She hears the voice, the movement of someone in the garden outside the tomb. And at this, as it says here, at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus thinking he was a gardener. The very first time Jesus is seen after his resurrection, he is seen not as a victor, he's seen not as a king, He's seen not as a judge or a lawyer or a this or a that. He is seen as a gardener. Theologians say this, that you've got a few options here that you can kind of decide. Number one, was Mary just like totally off? Number two, did she have like a prophetic accident where she pictured what Jesus was gonna become, or was God intending that the very first thing that he would show himself, the resurrected Christ as, was as a gardener. John starts his book, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made by him. John starts his whole book with the creation narrative, talking that Christ is the creator. And he ends his book with the first sighting of the resurrection of Jesus being the gardener. 
in new creation. G.K. Chesterton, a famous Catholic theologian, said this, on the third day, the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder. The world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth. And in the semblance of a gardener, God walked again in the garden, not in the cool of the evening, but in the dawn of the day. Jesus is the new creation gardener. Jesus rocks up in the garden of new creation, seen for his very first time after his resurrection as a gardener, as the one who is going to tend to the garden of new creation, who progressively through step after step after step is going to take the formlessness and emptiness of humanity that Jeremiah talks about and through new creation activity, God's activity within his new creation process through the resurrected Christ is going to bring about order and beauty and fruitfulness. We picture the first thing we see of the resurrected Christ takes us back to the Genesis narrative, which reminds us that God is a gardener and he is at work bringing about his beauty in the world. A guy called Brian Zahn says this. I'm just going to read a passage. It's quite long, and then we'll close. He says, Jesus is a gardener, a gardener cultivating resurrection life in all who will come to him. The conductor, the lawyer, the banker metaphors are mostly false, giving a distorted view of salvation. The gardener and physician metaphor is beautiful and faithfully depicts the process of salvation in our lives. A gardener's work is earthy and intimate. Gardeners have their hands in the humus. We are humans from the humus. Conductors and lawyers and bankers are concerned with abstract and impersonal things like tickets and laws and money, but gardeners handle living things with living hands. Jesus is not afraid to get his hands dirty in the humus of humanity. That Jesus is a gardener with a good heart and a green thumb should change your perspective on life. I promise you that your life is not so messed up that Jesus can't nurture you into a flourishing state. This is the good news. Take a leap of faith and believe it. Trust the gardener and stay in his garden and Jesus will grow new life out of the husk of your old life. Please stay in the garden. Yes, I know it's easy to get depressed about ecclesial garbage, but just remember, even beautiful gardens have a compost pile. Believing that Jesus is a good gardener, tending to your soul really does change your perspective on life. So when stuff happens, you know, 
the expression, don't despair. Allow Jesus to use it as fertilizer to help you grow. Paul says something about God causing all things to work together for good. Jesus is a gardener. I don't know about you, but sometimes there are times in our lives that feel like tohu vabohu. Some of us might feel like that even now. Confusion and emptiness, formlessness and void, chaos and disorder. Times in our lives when the internal reality feels nothing like the very goodness that we see at the end of creation. Sometimes we come here and we dress up the reality of our lives. We dress up, we try and pretend, we try and put our best foot forward, we try and look good, we try and make it out like everything is okay. But Jesus is the gardener who gets into the chaos and the confusion the one that we can trust with our lives because he is the one with careful hands, with his divine plan that wants to bring about the new creation reality in your life. He wants to turn your life from confusion and emptiness, from chaos and disorder, from a barren wilderness and desert into a place of fruitfulness and life and beauty and order. Jesus is at work in the world. Tohu vabohu is being turned and transformed through the activity of the new creation gardener, Christ himself, into something that is beautiful. And he's doing that in your and my life. He's doing that in the mess of our lives. We can trust him with even the darkest parts of our lives because he, as a gardener, is tending to those spaces to bring about his beauty and fruitfulness. Sometimes gardeners prune as Jesus says in John 15, sometimes the process of turning the disorder into beauty is painful. But it is the work of the skilled gardener that takes the pruning and the plucking and the tilling and all of those kind of words that go with gardening that to be honest, I don't know what all of them mean but it is the skilled gardener that does all of those activities even in our own lives. Pruning, cutting, clearing, moving, shaping, fertilizing to bring about tohu vabohu into something that is very good. It may just start with one thing, let there be light. But through God's activity, his continual progressive engagement in the world, he turns confusion and emptiness into that which is very good. Christ 
Christ is the one who descended into the world. The one who himself died, was buried, took on all of the burden on confusion and emptiness and chaos and disorder, took on the skilled evil of humanity and rose again as a gardener as someone who through him will bring about God's good in the world and in our lives. We do want to talk, I want to talk next week about agency and the fact like how we get involved in that and how God calls us to be involved in that. And more than that, how God wants us to take control of our own lives in some sense in in the fact that God has given us this divine agency to bring about transformation. But before we can do that, we have to realize that God wants to work his divine agency in our lives first, which means we need to open up our lives to the gardener for Jesus to do his work in us, to trust God and his hands in our lives to shape them for his glory. Can I pray? Lord, I always thought it was funny that you showed yourself as a gardener. Of all the things you could have shown yourself as a king. A warrior. But you, Jesus, showed yourself as a gardener, humble someone who gets his hands dirty. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are the new creation gardener, bringing about the tohu babohu of the brokenness of humanity into order and beauty and fruitfulness. I thank you that you take the tohu babohu of our lives the confusion and disorder, the emptiness, the brokenness, the pain, all of those things that we feel that just seem to be the things that are cultivating in our lives, that pain, that confusion, that emptiness, that brokenness, that barrenness that just seems to fester within us. I thank you, Jesus, that you as the new creation gardener invite us in through your blood, through your sacrifice through your life. You invite us into your garden, into a space where you're gonna take even the darkest parts within us and tend to them and cultivate them. 
and transform us. And so, Lord, I pray for every single person here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would just stir our hearts towards you, that you would help us to open up our hearts and our lives to you, that you would help us submit to you as the great gardener. I pray for some of us that just feel like maybe there may be no hope, that today we would have hope as you would stretch your hands into theirs and our lives, your hands of skill and precision, your hands that bring about your beauty. And so Lord, we submit to you, we open up our hearts to you, we say, God, come and do your work. Just before we close, just one thing I felt for maybe someone here is that maybe you're discouraged because you just don't feel like you've progressed as far as you'd hoped in your faith, in your life. Um, I think one thing that's really encouraged me over the years is that when God did create the world, He did it day by day, day by day, day by day moving the needle forward in one sense little by little. And that when God was brought about new creation, he's done it generation by generation by generation by generation. And I don't know how many more generations until Christ returns, but he's done it generation by generation by generation. God at work in his people and his people at work in the world and bringing about God's order and beauty. That just because we don't feel like we moved as fast as we hoped we would, doesn't mean that God is not moving us forward little by little, day by day, step by step, as He, the gardener, engages in the dirt of our lives to bring about transformation for His glory. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for coming this morning. Hope that encouraged some of you. Have a good week and a good day. Bless you all.